Hello, 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 great minds. It's Tuesday, and that means it's time for Drinks with Great Minds in History. So welcome to the show, everyone. Sadly, Cleopatra will be coming out next week. This was one of those five-week months, so I decided to take a moment to release some Patreon content. In fact, you're going to get two Patreon episodes this week, an episode of Cullen Chat's China on the Art of War, and the inaugural episode of Pete Chat's Portugal on the Iberian Union, which is going into its fourth out of eight parts. Colin Chats China and Pete Chats Portugal are available at the at the two and five dollar levels, uh, and are great pieces of content which I've released before. Again, I'm sorry Cleopatra won't be out this week. She'll be out next week. I'm having too much fun researching her, and I've never had this much time to do it. So I kind of am just uh, taking my time having fun writing this script. But you will get the full Cleopatra treatment in all of May. Other than that, enjoy this round of Colin Chats China and Pete Chats Portugal. Again, fantastic topics where Cullen chats with me about the rich history of China that I know next to nothing about, and I chat with Cullen about the equally rich history of Portugal, a history that most people just tend to ignore. If you enjoy these Patreon exclusives that I'm releasing to the main feed, then consider supporting the show over on the DGMH Patreon page. Their listeners can get access to all sorts of bonus content, from Washington's Words, where I look at quotes that George Washington has said and examine the kind of history behind them, or what I'm teaching episodes where I talk about what I was teaching in the classroom. Those have ended, but they're still there. Of course, you can get access to Last Call bonus episodes, pre-game content, a moment with Mr. DGMH currently on the Bourbon Reforms, and Cullen also does a moment with my high school history teacher where he talks about various history topics, another moment with Mr. DGMH on the 30 Years' War, and so much more bonus content. We hope you'll consider checking it out. Thanks for listening, and as always... But first, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. So what have you got for me wait, today, wait, Zach? Wait. I got to introduce oh, the show. Y'all always jumping the gun, jumping the gun. Damn it. Now, welcome to Pete Chad's Portugal patrons uh, from our drinking buddies and up by our great minds. And up. I don't know if this is available at the 3 or $5 level, but it's available to a lot of Patreons on our uh, Patreon page. And uh, so welcome to Pete Chats Portugal. So what do you have for me today, Zach? All right, Zach, Pete, I don't know what it is, but it's me. It's Zach. Hi, I'm here. And uh, it's funny. We just recorded Colin Chats China. Listeners of this can go back and listen. And he did a nice, fun little story. And I decided to map out a seven or eight part epic. Uh, (laughs) Is mine too short? Should we go back and read? God, no, it wasn't too short. I'm saying I literally mapped out. I was like, you know what? I want to cover this topic, but I need multiple episodes. And then I mapped out how I wanted to do it. And it's like eight parts. Uh, so wow. that's like Mr. DGMH's favorite thing to do. Well, is make just big drop plans. a few each. each, yep. uh, each yeah, one per month. Let's not. You're, I can't do more Patreon. I can't even remember the long list of Patreon shit that we have available. <laughs> let alone. Uh, let, let alone. Oh, I don't know. All right. So we are going to start. We So last time on Pete Chats Portugal, we discussed. King Zhao. Well, we actually discussed the Lisbon earthquake because the I was ill. Pre- 
I yes. Well, we discussed the Elizabeth earthquake last time because I was ill prepared and had no other topic prepared. So I talked about something I knew. Fun, <laughs> short, sweet to the point. But before that, we talked about Zhao the Third, and Cullen just reminded us he was the grocer king, the king of the spices, the king of the sugar. And we certainly want to talk about his Indian Empire and the Portuguese Indian Empire at some point. Uh, but we'd have to first maybe talk about Vasco da Gama and Bartolomé Diaz, and we'll, we'll get there. But something that also goes right with Zhao the Third is what happens after his death. So we are about to go on a, a fairly small little saga in Pichat's Portugal on the Iberian Union. Uh, so Cullen, like do you know what the Iberian Union is? I just know that you told me once that Portugal damn near once almost took over Spain. And uh, I know the two of them will eventually, they well, were together for a while, right? Sure. So and in then... the 1470s, Portugal was the power that was and was able to damn near take over Castile. Um, but instead it went towards Ferdinand and Isabella because their sea trade was at risk. The sea trade that we've established mm -hmm. on the show so far. Um, but that situation didn't really necessarily change. But this actually, I think I mentioned this in the Philip II saga, the Iberian Union. I mentioned that it was a moment where Portugal and Spain became Portugal uh, and kind of banded together. Colin, you have a question? Did Portugal help with the Reconquista against Granada? Did they provide troops and ships uh, and stuff too? No, am I getting ahead? They, no, I don't know that they did there. Uh, they had their own crusades further south that ended long before. Uh, the, the Algarve. Conquest. Yep, the Algarve. Um, yeah. I don't know. I know that I'm sure mercenaries, English and French mercenaries alike, I don't know to what degree Portuguese mercenaries. I mean, you have to remember, Portugal was a much smaller populated area, mm. uh, you know, compared to, I think in the 15th century, the population of Iberia is like 6 million and Portugal was an insignificant number of that, uh, yeah. you know, a million or less. Uh, never yeah. really, if that, if that, if that. Uh, so it is always a smaller country in the medieval and early modern period. Uh, mm -hmm. But nevertheless, successful. It's almost like the Dutch. They they're beautiful comparison because they work with so much less, um, hmm. and they have to come up with you know their cartai system and their feitorias instead of large scale colonization. Save only Brazil. They stayed at the coastline. But the Iberian Union, and I'm going to kind of give an overview here briefly before we back up entirely, is a period from 1580 to 1640, which we brought up during the Philip II saga. Uh, in which, beginning with, uh, you know, King Philip II of the House of Habsburg in Spain, came to rule Portugal as King Philip I of Portugal. His son will be Philip II of Portugal, Philip III of Spain, and his grandson, I believe, I'd have to check the incest line there, but his grandson, <laughs> Philip IV, would be the last king of Portugal of the Habsburg line, Philip III of Portugal. So, you know tying into a lot of stuff there with the 30 years war as well what what happened to jow's line did they marry in so that's that's where we're going so they had always been inter uh intermarried since the days of ferdinand and isabella um well, i was just just teaching this today it's kind of a fun little thing but like with the treaty of alcosovas the thing that guaranteed castile's independence from portugal and isabella's ascendancy to the throne which you mentioned earlier that treaty also had a marriage pact to it that the prince at the time manuel would marry a, um, a Spanish princess, a daughter of Ferdinand and Isabella. And that those two had a child named Isabella of Portugal. She would marry. Now, so that means that she is Ferdinand and Isabella's granddaughter. Okay. Oh, right. Okay. Got it. She yeah. would marry Carlos I, also known as Emperor Charles V. Big who was Who was also Ferdinand and Isabella's granddaughter or grandson. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so that's where we're at. Uh, so the Habsburgs and the Portuguese are certainly interconnected, uh, yeah. you know, a little bit here, but separate, very separate. The House of Aviz is a power player in the world. You really couldn't stop the House of Aviz at sea in this period. Um, mm. Even the Spanish probably wouldn't be able to totally question their naval power, even with the might of Spanish silver. So it takes wow. something else. So how, what happens to Zhao's line? That's what I'm about to tell you. So Zhao had eight children. I don't know if they were all sons. I don't know how many of them were sons, but only Good one God. son survived to adulthood. And uh, his name was Zhao, but not Zhao the anything, because Zhao died just two weeks after the birth of his son, Sebastian. So mm-hmm. where we are going today is back in time a little bit to 1557 with the death of Zhao III, our grocer king, and the ascendancy of a three-year-old King Sebastian. Now it's like Sebastio or whatever, Sebasto, Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm going to stick with Sebastian. Um, So Sebastian rules from 1557 to 1578. Like I said, he began his uh, reign at age three. His father Zhao was the eighth son, at least I do know that, uh, who died just after his son's birth, and that made Sebastian the heir apparent to Zhao III. Uh, so in 1554, when Sebastian was born, Zhao was still alive and well. But uh, when Zhao died of apoplexy, apoplexy, um, what what is that? That's uh, is that a stroke? That's a stroke, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. I, I think he died of a stroke in in 1557. Okay. It's the old word for it. Like, I don't have it in front of me. Um, so I, I I will say this: um, Sebastian, <laughs> Sebastian's mother, who was the initial regent, was actually the daughter. Epoxy? Epoxy stroke? Epoxy, yeah. Epoxy. Epoxy. It's an old word for a stroke, I believe. I don't know. Okay. Either way, uh, Sebastian's mother was actually the daughter of Carlos I slash Charles V. So we're continuing this line of confusion of who's who and where's where and who's cousins, who's wife. But... There'll be a test after this, viewers. Well, actually, that point might be important down the road. These Habsburgs connections... They 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 might be important down the road. Maybe not in this episode, but they might be important down the road. Um, but after his mother resigns as regent to go help with other issues abroad regarding her brother's kingdoms, which is the HRE and Spain and all of the empire, uh, the regency falls to um well, I guess it would be Sebastian's great uncle, Jao the Third's brother. Henry. Now you might be wondering, well, why doesn't Henry just become king? Well, there's a there's a big reason for that. Zhao the Third's brother was a Catholic cardinal, so he is going to serve as a great regent. Mm. All right, but he is a Catholic cardinal. Now again, that might be important down the road. All right. <laughs> Either way, during the regency and Sebastian, uh, you, you know, in Sebastian's early reign, I guess you could call it that. He's not really reigning. I was a period of colonial expansion. The sugar and spice monopolies are only continuing to grow. Sebastian's reign also coincided with the annexation or at least opening of a trade port in Macau, China, uh, which is something we need to talk about down the road, like a a Pete and Cullen crossover. Um, Oh, yeah. Wow. Yes. Who chats what? Uh, Yes. So uh, I don't know. It's just a double up on Macau. Uh, Either way, uh, he is continuing to grow and expand trade networks. He is a his reign is a period of growth and expansion and bold moves. Uh, there was a point of uh, interesting point for me here is that he was almost married to Margaret de Valois. That is to say, the daughter of Catherine de Medici. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so the very daughter that married Henry of Navarre uh, and the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. I covered her in a moment in the margins. Uh, but he decided not to mar- accept that marriage proposal. 
because uh, the French just weren't strong enough in their suppression of French Huguenots. Uh, so oh, he wow. didn't see them as Catholic aggressive enough. So he's super Catholic. Uh, you know, from the very beginning, he is expanding into Arab and Muslim controlled territories in the East, in the Indies, and certainly has uh, from the moment really uh, he is of age, a desire to launch a crusade against lost territory in Morocco. Um, wow. Yeah. So I did think that was funny, though, that, that Catherine of Medici wasn't wasn't strong handed enough against the French Huguenots. Right. So right. Yeah. He, he wanted to rock <laughs> that full fledged inquisitorial Super style. Catholic. Yes, yeah. So we must be Catholic or die. Uh, that's kind of his mentality. Uh, one other point of note that I've I've read about this before, but I didn't want to dive into it too much, was the War of the League of the Indies, which is what it's called when a bunch of Arab merchants and their respective countries in the Indies and the uh, area, you know, Indi, Indo-Chinese area in the Indies, banded together to try and expel Portugal from being involved yep. in the spice trade. Do you? They this? ruined it. They, yeah. If I could jump in here, because yeah. the Indian Ocean trade was flourishing and was a phenomenal network of interconnected trade routes. And the Portuguese bumble into it like some small child. This is mine now. Caravels. What? Yeah. And basically will not play nicely with others. Like they'll, right. they'll show up and start plundering. Well, they'll, they'll play nicely and... with the people who, who trade with them, but not the people who were trading before. Right. They want a monopoly. It's a Muslim trade yeah. network. Yes, they were never Muslim... going to integrate or fit well with <laughs> <No>. these guys, <laughs> you know, especially no. if you're having this war, this war yes. on, on assault on. So I, I think it is amazing, though, that all of these different sultanates banded together and with an army of more than 60,000 were crushed by a Portuguese force of never more than 10,000, just showing the importance of naval power in this conflict. Yeah. Wow. Oh, but that's not really the story for today. But that is a uh, just kind of going through some of the interesting and high points of Sebastian's reign as it was a 21 year reign, uh, you know, and he's only in his majority for probably five or six years as king in his own right. And all these things are happening uh, by six, 1568. He had actually hoped to launch a full fledged crusade uh, against Morocco. Uh, and he wow. actually got a chance at it because Basically, the Turkish backed a coup d'etat of sorts. The, the Ottomans backed a coup uh, against an existing Roman sultan who actually fled to Portugal. Must have had trade ties there or something like that. So they're wow. like, well, we'll get involved in Morocco and pseudo-colonize it and do whatever we want. Um, yeah. Because this guy's here and he belongs on the sultan, you know, puppet yeah. or something like that. Sure. But that that crusade never really happened. But there is a, there is a decision to launch a massive attack on Morocco in 1578 as a sort of crusade. And he's got mercenaries from countries like England and France and other parts of Catholic Europe. He's got an oddly high amount of Portuguese nobility uh, with him as well. And he stops in at Spain at the port of Cadiz, hoping that a bunch of Spanish crusaders will join him as well. But no one really shows up, but he doesn't he doesn't give up. He continues on and Sebastian sails across the Straits of Gibraltar, lands in Morocco and meets uh, a, a much larger force of more than 60,000, uh, Ar- you know, Arab Berbers, uh, basically, uh, you know, Moroccan forces with Ottoman mm-hmm. support uh, at, and at the Battle of, oh, God, al Qasir Kabir, uh, that's you know, A-L-C-A-C-E-R-Q-U-I-B-I-R. I, I'm sure I butchered that. Uh, you know, Moroccan is certainly not my, my strong suit in terms of languages. Either way, it is not surprising that Sebastian faced an embarrassing defeat. But 
did not yield. And in fact, Sebastian was last seen leading a cavalry charge into a far larger Ottoman, I'm sorry, mixed Ottoman Moroccan. Wow, death in battle, huh? Death in battle, death in battle. (laughs) Problem is, when your king dies in battle, that's not very good. So Portugal has no king, right? Portugal has no king left. And I, let me guess, no son, no heir. To no, take. He's yeah, only, he didn't no. marry. He never married yet. Oh, uh, so we have oh, no heir. And the house up a, for, for well, he was supposed to be it. He was the last real son. He was supposed to be the, the son who saved the Portuguese Aviz dynasty. He was supposed to be the great champion of the Catholic world for Portugal and bring about a new age. And he died mm. in battle. Mm. But there was someone left in the house of Aviz. Any guesses? Would it be the back to the cardinal uncle? Yep. Did he yep. have? Oh, okay, okay. So we are left Sweet. with a sixty-six-year-old Enrique, the cardinal king, uh, and he will reign as king of the House of Avis no for two way. years. Two years okay. he'll reign. Uh, he began his reign in fifteen seventy-eight uh, as the cardinal king, but the aging sixty-six-year-old cardinal tried to seek papal permission to abandon his holy orders in order to marry and continue on the Aviz line. Wow. Pope Gregory said no. Do you have any guesses as to why? Well, you're not allowed to marry if you're in the church, right? But he could have gotten permission. The Pope could have absolved him of his holy orders and said you can go marry for the sake of the Aviz dynasty. Yeah. The answer lies in who would be next in line for the Portuguese throne. And that answer is Philip II of Spain. Oh. And Philip II of Spain doesn't exactly like the idea of the Pope doing this and hoping not to piss off the Spanish king slash king of Naples slash king of a bunch of places slash king of the world slash most Catholic crusading king wow. of Europe, uh, uh-huh. you know, decides to say, nah, you have to stay a cardinal. It's really important. Wow. Now, we're going to stop kind of there for okay. now, uh, because, you know, last I mentioned was Sebastian's near certain death at the, the, the battle of Alcacer Kibir. Uh, again, I'm sure I'm fucking. Did they ever find his body? Uh, like, well, uh, charging Philip, in? Philip would claim that it was later sent to him by the Moroccans, but there's no way to prove it. The reason I say near certain is because it's not really actually his demise is the stuff of legend. It's 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 actually called Sebastianism. Uh, the idea that he didn't die at this battle and that he would someday at any point return when <laughs> he was most needed to save Portugal. Oh, wow. Save them from okay. what you might say? Maybe <laughs> Habsburg misrule. Again, we'll save that for next time. Uh, but this did lead to quite a few imposters laying claim to the throne. A sort of like uh, you might remember Potemkin uh, or not. Potemkin. I was going to say or Pugachev's um, rebellion Pugachev, with Catherine. Yeah. Puga yeah. Peter, Puga Peter. Right. People uh, kept yes. showing up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, out of the uh, woodwork. Actually, four different imposters would emerge. Uh, two in the 1580s and two in the 1590s. One as late as 1598. Uh, but the last one couldn't even speak Portugal, Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. He was arrested wow. in Naples and put in prison. And basically, you know, they pop up against Phillips and Habsburgs or whatever. But I thought that was funny. That's um so funny. Uh, wow. of course, this idea of Sebastianism would be pr- promoted by a truly great mind, uh Father Antonio Vieira, who until the 1640s uh, would promote this common trope that any time Portuguese, I, I'm sorry, who would promote this till the 1640s. Uh, and actually, Sebastianism became a common trope throughout Portuguese history to the to the 20th century of 
anytime that Portugal needed a savior, the heirs of Sebastian might return. They show up. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Wow. Um, so Sebastian never quite showed up, but I will say I do plan to talk about Vieira a little bit later. Um, you, you know, it, it is quite funny. Uh, at the end of this story, all this Sebastian stuff pops up again. So I don't want to get ahead of myself, but where we are at is Sebastian is dead. Uh, Enrique is the Cardinal King and he is old. He can't have children. And all the shit is about to hit the fan as that uber Catholic champion of Europe, uh, the the pain in the ass meddler that was Philip II gets involved. And if you don't remember, Philip's involved in the Netherlands. He's involved in France. He's involved in England, Italy, the papal states, probably the HRE. Why the fuck not? Let's get involved in Portugal. And he's one of the great minds that the more you learned about him, the more you started to hate him, right? Yes, not I, hate him, but just didn't like right. him, right? He, he was unlikable. Frustrates me because it's like, yeah, you're sitting here, you're 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 your own demise, the reason for your own demise, and yet we're sitting here seeing how he's about to literally come in control of the world. All right, Spain and Portugal separately controlled yeah. all oh. of the colonial world, save yeah. Asia and the rest of Europe nothing was out of their reach and philip is like the ultimate like well fuck it i'm gonna piss it all away on gambles yeah. because you can't you know, even I, say they weren't north america with they, yeah. they own florida they own yeah. like parts Spain, of Texas spain was that, everywhere yeah, spain yeah everywhere wow. so that's where we're at i i'm gonna table that i will preview that up next we will be talking about the uh war of succession because what happens when enrique dies uh you might think it's just one claimant what would bastards be there for if uh, not to be a rival claimant to the throne? So we're going right. to see a pretty interesting little war of succession and a spicy little figure named Antonio. Game of next. Thrones. Yes, Portugal's yes, now. absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, like I said, I have eight parts planned for this. Um, we'll talk plenty about what it's like once uh, the war of succession is over. Uh, some of the follies that hinder Portuguese uh, rule as their empire. Uh, we'll talk about how it all comes to an end as we meander through the uh, Iberian Union for the next few parts of Pichet's Portugal. Colin, do you have any questions though? No, no, that was that was really interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to when we get to India because that's... Uh, yeah. Well, we'll, yeah, we'll jump, I promise we'll jump to India after sure. part yeah, take, of the Iberian Union. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my. Well, speaking awesome. of questions, listeners of this uh, PTS Portugal, if you ever have any questions about Portugal that you want answered or about stuff we covered on the show, just let us know. We will do our best to answer them. Sometimes Cullen knows things that I don't about uh, Portuguese trade network. <laughs> no, he shaking his head no. Well, I didn't say that about China, so I guess that might be true. Uh, but that's why we do this, so we can share our love of Chinese and Portuguese history. So, um, well, I'm polishing off my Bell's Christmas Ale. Yeah, uh, so and polished off that young. So cheers, Cullen. Yep. Thanks for cheers, coming man. on, Sorry. and thanks yep. for uh, to all our patrons uh, who support the show and listen to PHS Portugal. Cheers. The Iberian Unification. No, fuck the Iberian Union. <laughs> we hate the Habsburg rule in Portugal. It was a di- I ca- in my classroom. I call it the Long Portuguese Nightmare or Portugal's oh, Long wow. Nightmare. It's terrible, wow. but I guess you have to listen to Pete Jets Portugal moving forward to find out why. All right. Okay. Cheers. Okay.